it's Katie and Desiree, and this is Cypress Secrets' official first episode to our podcast. Long time coming. Yes, this is the um, maybe third or fourth time we've recorded this, so we are definitely excited to have our new equipment and to be able to get this to you guys. Yes, and special thanks to uh, those who donated for it, and Shelby for teaching me how to use this damn software because I don't know anything about computers like that. But it looks like she does. <laughs> um, I feel pretty confident at this point, but <laughs> I guess we'll see. Um, so we just wanted to do an intro episode covering some of the actions and protests we've done from August until now um, to give you an idea of what we've been up to. And just to give you a little intro to ourselves and what we're about. Yeah, um, my name is Katie. Um, I was born in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and um, I'm 23 years old. Um, me and Des met on the front lines protesting this past fall. As I had just moved here from California not too long prior to that and didn't really know anybody and pretty much made... My friends on the front lines, and that's how me and Katie met. And then it turns out we are connected through other people as well. And it just all worked out. Um, But, yeah, I'm a little bit older. Tell them about yourself, Des. I'm a little bit older than that, Katie, (laughs) bitch. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm new to Louisiana-ish, but not new to activism. Um, I've been in this game for a while now. It's, you know, different places, but the same struggle. Um, But the South is a whole different beast. There's nothing like it. And it's it's good and bad because we could see things happening in real time. But also, I don't know what year this is that we are living in. And... <laughs> yep, Absolutely. My my grandmother taught for over 50 years, and she taught Louisiana history. And I feel like whenever you realize that you're reliving what you've read about and it's just doled down into modernized racism, mm-hmm. that it's a big concept to grasp. Because it's like Louisiana is like a third world country. Like, we just don't, we aren't on the same level as everybody else. It's like everyone's like 50 75 years ahead of us you know we're just in the past like in every sense of the word right yeah i think that's more like it like not a third world country just like 50 years behind in american times like definitely it's it's uh like it's like a get or or get got and like everybody's just not playing fair you know what i mean like the police run everything but like their daddies were cops their daddy's daddies were cops, and then their daddy's daddies were Klansmen. And right. that's what it's turned into. And then, you know, the, before them were the slave owners. Exactly. Um, there's just a big crab-in-the-bucket mentality, too, that I feel like is bringing it down over here. But but the upside is it's so small and close-knit that you could see the change happening. Like, Like, we'll get into some of it, but, like, we were there when they released the uh, body cam footage, you know, the restraining Absolutely. order on it to the family. Like, Absolutely. We were there when Colonel Reeves retired. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's like we could see these things happening in real time. And we'll get into that more right now. We're going to go um, kind of case by case or action by action on what we've done from August till um, the most recent one was Quan Charles' birthday yes, celebration. Yes, his sweet 16. Okay, and we're back. So we're going to start off by talking about uh, the initial case that pretty much brought us and quite a few others together, which was uh, here in Lafayette. Uh, Towards the end of August, there was a young man named Trayford Pellerin who was unarmed, walking down the street, clearly in distress. The police followed him from one gas station to another never really employing any uh, non-lethal tactics. They never shot a taser at the man. They never used their nightsticks, nothing like that. They ended up unloading 
17 shots altogether, 10 directly in his back, um, above the waist, and killing him in the parking lot of the Shell Station. And they handcuffed him after he was dead. They handcuffed him after he was dead. And uh, what we found later from body cam footage that was released to the family was that the police were told to leave their knives on scene uh, because the narrative was that he had a knife, which was found to be not true. Um, but this case kind of shocked the city and the surrounding areas. It was a couple weeks or, you know, shortly after George Floyd was murdered. So tensions were already super high across the country. And this kind of uh, lit a fire under a lot of our asses. That was a big first protest for Trayford Pellerin on the 22nd of August. And neither of us went to that one. Um, but that one, they ended up shutting down the Evangeline Thruway. Uh, they shut down the gas station where he was killed. They had interactions with white supremacists in pickup trucks, basically trying to come to the hood side of town to get gas where they would never be before. Um, and just causing a scene, basically. But Trying you know, to run them over. Trying to run them over, trying to deter them, trying to scare them from doing what they want to do and what they know is right. And it didn't work. It just lit a fire under people's ass. There was a video that went like semi-viral of it happening and people wanted to do something about it. Um, so because of that protest, there was another protest, which was the first one that I attended out here uh, on the 29th of August. And this one was on Ambassador Caffrey. So this one took the protest to the rich side of town, basically. Um and I mean, I've been to big protests in pretty big cities and this one just had the worst vibes. Like I pulled up and these police were in riot gear, antagonizing the group already, just ready to go. And if that wasn't enough, they were literally lined up in front of a gun store on Ambassador and uh, underneath the billboard that said Lafayette Shooters. And I'm just like, if this ain't a motherfucking <laughs> omen, like... <laughs> Oh my god! Like you <laughs> could, you it. It was just different. Like we've been to so many protests out here, and there's been high and low tensions. But this one, I just knew it was gonna pop off. Um, so I told myself I'm gonna stay until dark, and once it gets dark, I'm out of here because oh. the cops were clearly antagonizing and just trying to like get people riled up, you know. Um, and sure enough, that one is the one where after dark, um. The cops started antagonizing. People started fighting. Um, there was, like, a small group that ended up looting one of the stores. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was just a shit show at the end of that. But Rednecks started showing up with baseball bats. Oh, yeah. Uh, rednecks in pickup trucks were trying to run people over. And then the cops were antagonizing the protesters instead of the pickup trucks. They were towing cars as tactics. Like... When I tell you, those cops that were lined up were, like, ready to go. They just, they wanted some type of action. It was the highlight of their life. Of course, of course. Just full riot gear. Um, which they is, were like, finally, we get to put them on. For real. Like, what? where else are these, like, hillbillies going to wear this stuff? <laughs> um, but after that protest is how I found a group that we're no longer um, associated with. But I found a few of the local leaders on the news after that protest and I contacted them um, and that pretty much put me in contact with the group that Katie had found and that the next protest we uh, there was a public uh, PR what was it a press conference right um, it was an official press conference about Trayford Pellerin's murder was this, right, we did a press conference and then we were submitting a list of demands, is that right? We were submitting a list of demands and um, they locked us out of the police station. We went, uh, they got us though, I'm going to be real with you, they did get us because it was a holiday. Right. We, we definitely could have picked a better day. Right. But we, we showed up during business hours, there were plenty of people in the building, so it's not the vac. It's not vacant, you know? Right, they were inside. But they locked the doors, and um, whenever I had got there, it was after the press conference had ended, mm -hmm. and uh, the crowd was, uh, mm, let me think, hold on, I want to I choose this word carefully, 
excited. I got so many words in my head. <laughs> the crowd was very excited, and they really wanted, um, they really wanted to get in to the building. Uh-huh. So that's a really nice way to put it. <laughs> so, what she means is we were banging the <laughs> hell out of those windows and doors, yelling "knock knock." Yes, um, let us in. Whenever I looked, I thought that the glass walls were going to cave at any second. And there was this woman named Tara Fogelman, and she was yelling, knock, knock, let us in. And, like, she literally yelled that for 10 minutes while they, I'm not joking, y'all, 50 people knocked on the window, banging. We surrounded the police station. When I went to the opposite side, so I was looking directly at y'all where you were banging on that side, you could see in, and there was another room with cops getting dressed in riot gear behind it, and they kept peeking their head through the door and, like, trying to taunt us and I'm like man if these windows break right now and and look we, are we all, all thought they were gonna like, we all definitely thought they were gonna cause like I don't know if y'all have ever seen a bunch of people banging on glass walls but they start to do this crazy wave a wave yeah. they start to do this real crazy wave thing that makes you real like nervous cause you're like ah uh, we're getting close <laughs> <laughs> it's like rhythmic and it's <laughs> terrifying and um we we went around, we marched to the back of the police station where we found three police officers outside uh, in full riot gear uh, taunting us, smoking cigarettes. And whenever we started mm-hmm. to speak on the megaphone about, you know, our list of demands and why we were there, um, one of the redneck cops started playing country music in his cruiser. Just and blasting country music. The more music. that we would talk, the louder he would turn it up. And we were just like, wow, well, okay, well, they're obviously not listening. And we had them closed in to where they couldn't get out. They literally wouldn't leave the station. We had the driveway blocked and they would not leave the station. So we were like, well, you know what? Do y'all have anything to do today? I don't got shit else to do today. So we, we got some barbecue pits. We brought them there. We got PA system and speakers. We had hula hoopers. It we turned had, into a block party. It was an entire block party, and the whole time we were just we were just holding the cops in there, and they couldn't go because they were like, and literally, well, all, I don't want to confront them. All they had to do was take a complaint. A, like literally, we were there to file citizens' complaints against the police officers that killed Trayford Pellerin. Right. Instead, they lock us out blast their music, taunt us. You know what I mean? It's like, we don't, we didn't come there just asking to be petty. We came there with a specific demand. A and they want to play fucking games. So. And then they said they wouldn't listen because it was Labor Day. Well, then why are y'all there? Yeah, that office was clearly not closed. They locked the doors after we got there. Like It was, it was, it, it started crazy but it ended up just like a big party and that's that that's literally like where i met katie for the first time that's where a lot of the people within that old group we were in not anymore right um met each other (laughs) so it kind of it was a good time and they they did that you know what i mean like not only that, but the neighbors around there like gave us their yes. yards to barbecue in yes, because Tara had already been their... arrested for barbecuing by that point. And they started to tell us that we were going to get uh, arrested for trespassing. So we had to go to the doors and ask the people, hey, right, can uh, we stand in your yard? And they said, yeah. Yeah, a bunch of neighbors, like for that first corner house and like two more corner houses mm-hmm. were like, hey, you can come over here too. And then there was also uh, a house, a couple... Uh, houses down from where the barbecue pits were set up. They had a bunch of uh, cardboard and a bunch of markers, and they were saying, you know, make a sign. Make signs, yeah. And it was like, everybody was just having such a great time, honestly. Yeah, for real. Like, all the bullshit antics the cops did that day just, like, made a group, like, grow Absolutely. together, pretty much. Um, That was pretty awesome. And that, that was Labor Day, so that brought us into September 7th. We'll be back in one second, and we'll get on to uh, some of the bigger Trayford protests after that. All right, so after Labor Day and that knock-knock block party, (laughs) basically... We uh, took a little time, and they planned a big protest in Baton Rouge. Which is Louisiana's state capital. Right, and we actually did 
the state capitol that day. We marched to the attorney general office um, and then we marched to the governor's mansion, which became our favorite stomping grounds over yes. the next few months. They would they would uh, they would see us many times after this day. <laughs> yes, they definitely got sick of us. Um, but that first trip to BR was pretty much like when the old group we were in got linked up with the new Black Panther Party and a lot of the leaders throughout Louisiana kind of got linked up. Um, and we submitted a list of demands to the attorney general. I think that's really important to highlight that we actually were trying to get things done through the legal system. The legal system, yeah, through through our actions and protests, but also through the the proper um, what would you say, like the proper avenues, and they right. they wanted to make sure that we were stopped at every every chance they got. Like Trifred Pellerin's family was there. Um, Alton Sterling's Al- family Alton was there. Alton Sterling's family was there, and like I think that they went in to give the list of demands. Right, and weren't we stopped at city at a the state capitol that day too and that's why we had to go to the attorney general office to yes. submit the demands yes we went on i want to say you could double check it was september 25th but i want to say it was a friday afternoon mm-hmm. it was a weekday afternoon it for was. sure and we were there well before 6 p.m and they said no the state capitol building's closed well also i i wanted to go i had to use the bathroom something that you guys might not realize about protesting is that there's no place to use a bathroom and a lot of places don't want to let you in yeah so like you're fucked like there's nothing that you can do about it so um i had to go to the bathroom so i went to the state capitol and they wouldn't let me in so i was like well fuck y'all I got to pee. So I went and I tried to find somewhere else and there was nowhere else around y'all. So I went to my good friend Jamal Taylor and I brought him up to the state capitol doors. And wouldn't you know it, with a man, we were allowed in. Mm. And then we were able to use the bathroom. And then we walked out and we got on the front steps and we started protesting them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh they're selective of who they want to let into the building. I could not believe that they had opened that door whenever we came back with him. I was like, are you fucking serious? Because it was me and two other women that tried to get in. Mm-hmm. And all we had to do was bring a man. Of course. Oh, you're serious? Mm-hmm. Now we take you seriously. Oh, damn. All right, you can come in. Yeah, that that protest was probably one of the bigger ones we had and were a part of. Um because there was a lot of people from a lot of different groups and it was one of the first times we saw like somewhat organized counter protesters yeah um there was a cajun militia across the street and i say somewhat because i mean they were just pretty much we weren't scared but they like wanted us to be right they had their dogs out they were kind of just watching us but we also had the new black panther party there they were, they like, they kept, they, these were big, aggressive, like, German shepherds. Like, you and could tell. And they were saying, they were saying, oh, these dogs yes. love to bite. Yeah, like, they kept, like, they kept, like, letting, like, faking like they were letting go of their leash. And, like, you could tell that these dogs were trained to hurt people. Y'all, when I tell you that the, the culture around animals and dogs in the South is just beyond complicated and fucked up, like... Most men in my family down here do not like dogs, do not want anything to do with dogs. They assume that dogs are inherently racist because they've been utilized as weapons against these Absolutely. against against our people for so many fucking years. And that's the thing where it's there these dogs are seen as less than animal, you know what I mean? Less than human, less than animal because they they've been weapons. So how could you you know like it's like we love we love these dogs, but they think about them as weapons. Right. That would be like me hugging my gun exactly and you know what i mean to it's a weapon right like it's just it's such a fucking complicated relationship they they were they were like flaunting that at us exactly exactly so it was um i mean they were they were gorgeous dogs (laughs) (laughs) i mean they were gorgeous fucking dogs but you could tell they wanted to hurt us right (laughs) um but that started the bond with the new black panther party and us basically knowing at the events we had armed protection and our backs were covered while we were trying so, to get our messages across. And, so nice. Right. And uh, that event was, it was inspiring. 
But also the numbers started dwindling down after that as well. Um, and that one maybe had 100, 150 people. Right. It even started raining on us. and People were still hanging out. Right. We were marching in the rain. Right. That was a good one. That was. Um, the very next action that we had was supposed to be a nice, easy, peaceful... <sighs> A breeze of an action compared Farthest, to that one. Yo, and <laughs> we've seen a bunch of shit shows since we've become friends, but I will put the crown on this one. This day, you know, when it starts with armed, goofy-ass Cajun <laughs> militia doing little marching formations. You know the day's fucked. Y- yeah. Middle of the day, gunshots, run. End of the day, Fighting amongst ourselves. Oh, my God. It was just a well, wild show right, from beginning I'll to end. It, I'll break it down for you guys. So, way, we, way, way, we, um, we set up a voter registration booth and like we were giving out food and we were, uh, it was, like, it was a block party. It was right. like, you should for your hood. Exactly. Getting people registered to vote, but having a good time, you know, bringing the crowd out, like. Yes. It should have been a good, jolly time. Like So what happened was, is we, I don't know who invited uh, InFact, and whenever I say that, they are the not-fucking-around coalition. Well, they weren't invited to the re- voter registration event. It was just it on was, the same That was day. completely separate, yeah. Yeah, no, let's start with the voter registration event, right. because InFact was completely separate, permitted event. The voter registration was, was a completely morning. separate event. But to get to the voter registration event, you had to go through multiple Lines. barricades of police um, intimidation, multiple multiple uh, spots of Cajun militia blocking parking lots, riding around with their trucks, with their giant Trump signs. Like, to get to a voter registration event, you had to basically, like, brave through a bunch of racists because you couldn't tell who was a cop and who wasn't. Right. And, I mean, let's be real, they're all <laughs> the same around here. Like... I, I I almost didn't go to that event because it was so, like, threatening just to get to the event. It was Under the guise of protecting us. Why, like, why you need so many cops to protect people from a voter registration event doesn't make any damn sense. Why you're cattling people in like that for a voter registration event? Why is that safe? It was fucked from the beginning, you guys. We just happened to have our voter registration on the wrong day. And it bled into the Infect Coalition. Right. Infect Coalition, the C's Coalition. <laughs> uh, but they ended up coming and having a formation and doing, like, a little parade. And during the parade, uh, a gun went off. To Before the parade. They were just lining up well, for the parade. I, I, was, uh, I was where they were starting, like, mm-hmm. about a block away from uh, where we were set up. Right. And they were, like, getting ready to start the parade. Like, they were, like, in the barricades. Mm -hmm. And they had, like, taken, like, I swear to God, like, five steps. (laughs) And then the fucking shots went off. And then everybody ducked because we didn't know where the shots were coming from. And it turned into, uh, you know, mass hysteria. Because, I mean, like, all over Facebook, there were death threats on, like, there were people on all sorts of uh, different sides of information that day everybody was just ready to clash yeah so earlier in the day there was uh the cajun militia was there doing formations with their guns and bulletproof vests and they stormed the event they literally marched into the middle of our event so while katie was over at the beginning of uh, what was the march for nfac i was in the middle of the park where the cajun militia had literally marched up front stood off with the new Black Panther Party who was there armed already because they were part of our event, not the NFAC event. Um, And they were literally just at a standoff. And I had just pulled my camera out to be like, I can't believe these motherfuckers are standing off with us. Like, it's literally an armed standoff. And right as they finished marching up there and stood off with the Black Panther Party, the new Black Panther Party, those, so say, shots went off. It sounded like a flashbang or a handgun or something, but... It it was just crazy timing with everything that happened that day. So at that point, everybody around there ducked. We all thought there was an active shooter. We we thought there was an active shooter. People ducked. People fled. Like I hit the block. I I was I was on I was on the verge of tears. There was a video. I was on. I was live mm-hmm. whenever that happened, and you can hear me saying the whole crowd saying, "Uh, there's an active shooter." 
get down, like, everybody go. And then, like, we were, like, moving. And then we looked up and there were snipers on the top of the roofs. Right. And we didn't know who the snipers were for. And that's the thing. Yeah, the Cajun militia had vests that said police. The yeah. The police didn't tell them yeah. anything. They were, like, yeah. walking around with them. I saw the police let them in. Yeah. Like, we just had no idea. But we, I will say, once those shots went off, Cajun militia in the front, they fled. Dipped. They fled the scene and did not come back until the cops escorted them back later. Yep. But and then they stood on on the corners of the blocks to, quote, make sure everyone got home safe. Right. Bitch! <laughs> yeah. Like, it was just so wild because as far as we knew, there was an active shooter or something. Like, just the timing was so wild. And then everybody kind of calmed down and went back and the event went on. And then uh, NFAC came and they did speeches and they were teamed up with, like, some local political figures and it really ruffled feathers right so then there was a lot of like infighting between the local organizations um it it got really uh um i mean i don't mean to use the word scary but it got a little worrisome for a it, it got really intense for a second with the infighting after tensions were already high because of the gunshots or whatever it was and you could tell that they were not like comfortable completely with the vibe either like you could tell that they were on edge so then that right. made everybody else on edge. everybody was literally just on edge for the rest everyone of that was event. just ready for another shot to pop off the entire rest of the fucking night right that's what i kept thinking i was like am i stupid for coming back here? and i'm like okay but all my people are back here right. again like right that that one was just fucking wild honestly um but yeah that wouldn't be the last time we were fearful for our lives and uh, <laughs> events like this so when we come back we're gonna get into some of the crowley activities and then um the big one which is quan charles okay guys so we're back and we want to uh share with you guys the next action that we went to together it was in crowley louisiana we got news from a young man's mother that uh her son was arrested and in his mugshot he was severely beaten and he was not obviously he wasn't that way before he got arrested so um she wanted to talk to her son after seeing that and she was unable to get a hold of him and uh, she was very worried that he was being mistreated by the police in the jail. So we went and we tried to talk to them. They hid behind the doors. Uh, every now and then we would check one of them peeking. And then they would be like, oh, shit. And then they would hide again. And we were like, y'all are grown men. This is not the first time nor the last time that grown men are hiding behind doors at us. So it's just, it's, it's, it's hilarious. It's a reoccurring thing we've we've come to realize. Yeah. So we wanted justice for that and we wanted to know what happened. And we wanted this mother to be able to talk to her son. So we went from there and we all got in our cars and we went to the city council meeting. Mm -hmm. And we showed up and we wanted to talk about that. And we had his mother with us. Um, we sat down in the pews and unbeknownst to us, but there was almost a physical altercation about 20 minutes right before we walked in. And while Fogelman was arguing with a black member of the council, I'm not sure exactly what of or what about, but, uh... But things were heated. They were heated, and, like, they were almost asked to leave type thing. We didn't know any of that until we saw the news later. They had already written a news story about uh, the councilman, Lyle Fogelman, basically getting heated, being borderline, like, dismissive racist against one of the black councilmen. Um, and and we had no idea it was a special session. We just session. got lucky. Everything, just the stars aligned, I guess. But it was, like, a special session to do some type of funding. So, like, they were all on edge. And we went in there and sat down for a little while. And because of the way we were ignored at the uh, sheriff's station in jail, uh, you know, we decided that the the young man was T.J. Yoakum, or is T.J. Yoakum. We decided that his mom should have her voice heard. So, long story short, we were like, mm, we're going to make some noise in here. And we started 
chanting and getting loud and they cut the meeting I think right then and decided they were going to turn the lights off on us like that was going to be the be all end all so I walked over and turned the lights back on and I don't know one of the councilmen didn't like that too much my old woman and he turned and threatened me and TJ Yoakum's mom was standing right next to me so this man just did not care knew there would be no consequences was the epitome of white privilege and he sucks. Okay, jumping back into it. So once Kwan went missing, that kind of became the main focus, obviously. Um, I mean, I'm sure by now most of y'all have seen the pictures or heard the stories. Um, so it's no surprise that this literal modern-day lynching kind of grabbed a hold of everybody in the area um absolutely it was like a uh, living through the next emmett till right and the thing is like like i said the south is different um it, it's shocking that this happened but it's not completely like nobody like like nothing changed like nothing like looks different right like nobody's like talking about it at work you know what i mean like it happened and we're outraged and people nationally are outraged, but the people at the corner store, they don't give a fuck. Right. Like, I, I've had people who they're like, oh, yeah, I heard about that story, but they didn't know what happened here in our backyard, you know? Yeah. There's like, what? Like, you know, it sounds like it's some far off thing and it's not. It, it, it happened here. Like, it's like they don't want to hear it. Right, it's that's like, what it's, it is. It's not that they don't want to hear it. They don't care to hear it. They don't care to hear it, and ignorance is bliss. Like, don't talk about that. Absolutely. Uh, they, in their mind, we've moved past that. Right, why are you bringing up the past? Right, and we're the most in the past, and that's probably why. Exactly, exactly. Um, so once Kwan was found, um, you know, the pictures Behind Janet Irvin's house. Directly behind. I'm dropping the bitch right now. <laughs> The what? Irvin family picked him up, and he was found in a sugarcane field in their backyard. Right, right. Um, like, that's that's not disputable. There's video evidence that Janet Irvin and her son picked him up. They did not have his parents' consent, and he was found six minutes away in her backyard in a sugarcane field, supposedly having drowned in inches of water. A puddle. A puddle of water on his own accord. And they said that his face, half of his face being missing was aquatic life in uh, that puddle. Right. Y'all telling me a fucking crawfish ate that boy's face off? A minnow? Get the fuck out. They and, ain't even no minnows in that fucking pond. Right. It, um, and, it was not a pond, y'all. It's a puddle. That was a misspeak. <laughs> that yeah, was a puddle. It, it's it's just ridiculous. Like, it, it was about like one, like, um, one and a half feet by like two feet puddle. And a couple inches deep. And, like, deep. one to two inches deep. Right. Just to give you guys a visual. Right. And the whole story uh, initially was that the family had given him mushrooms because they were all on mush taking mushrooms, um, which that later comes out is not true. He didn't have any mushrooms in his system. He just had marijuana and a little bit of alcohol. And very minor uh, percent, per, like, like he, did, he wasn't intoxicated. Right, yeah. Like, he wasn't tore up. Um, it just doesn't add up. But he was a minor that had drugs and alcohol in his system under the Irving's watch. Right. So now, after he was found and some of this information slowly coming out, um, there was a press conference held by the Charles family and Stan Black and a few other organizations um, at the Iberia Parish Courthouse, I yes. believe it is, right? Yep. And so... They did a press conference, gave a lot of the details, or the details known at the time. Um, family members were there just... Looking for answers. Looking for answers, like, completely devastated and shattered. Like Man, oh my God. I've, I've never that. heard somebody wail like that in my life. We, like, it haunts we started me. crying. We were sitting on the steps and we started crying because it was so horrific to watch his family mourn. 
it was it was just and but that's a thing they've been out since day one fighting for justice through that like, absolutely through that pain can you imagine yeah it was just that that really again like lit a fire under everybody's ass where it's like absolutely we were like we have to do it if not for Kwan then for his people because they deserve it right so once the family left that day it was a few of the different organizations including the new black panther party and us and um we were all just like fed up we're fed up we and were pissed. pissed and at that point earlier in that day the reports had come out that the urbans were allowed to pack up a u-haul and leave town basically they had been spotted in lafayette um because this was maybe about 30 minutes south of lafayette right um and the police basically watched them pack up and leave so we're pissed and people within the group quickly, quickly found the address to this family's trailer. Yo, so we wanted to go quicker, check it out. Way quicker than I'd ever seen anybody find an address. I was like, man, these guys are sleuths. Like, like how I'm we... talking like somebody said, give me their fucking address. And then somebody turned around and said, I have Got it. Got it. Yeah. So we drove over to the house. We basically <laughs> occupied the whole trailer park. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, we did, y'all. Yeah, that was a wild night. But tell me how the police were there before us. Mm-hmm. We made that decision split split second. We did not broadcast anywhere. At all. And the police were literally there circling the block before we got there. So if that doesn't tell you that they are here to protect property and do not give a fuck about humans, I don't know what does. Because they were absolutely there to make sure that nobody came and messed with that trailer that day. And then whenever we got to the trailer, uh, it was emptied out. Like, there was, like, trash by the road, but, like, not just regular trash. It was, like, I emptied my house trash. Like, there was, like, pieces of floor. Mm-hmm. There was uh, an AC. Um, and then my my father is a mortician, and he has been since before I was born. Um, I've been around death a lot, and around that trailer had a very distinct smell of death. Right. To where it smelled like a decomposing body and it was absolutely atrocious and it it was so overwhelming that everyone was just staring at each other like is this real right and then uh the leader the national chairwoman of the new black panther party crystal muhammad she poured out uh some water in kawan's name and everyone said a prayer and the news showed up and the cops were there and then after we realized there was nothing else for us to do we went ahead and loaded up and headed out, right. but not before a bunch of redneck neighbors like tried to intimidate us. Right, it's you still know. very, very divided down there too. Like, yeah, like he, he, they're either like that boy was murdered, or y'all need to mind y'all's business. It happens all the time. Right, like completely unfazed by it. Right. Um, that definitely uh started a whole trail of just so many actions after that um the next action we did was a march in baldwin because so kwan was taken from his father's house in baldwin and then taken to the Irvin's house in lauraville um, which is like 20 30 minutes apart from each other to begin with so the next action we went to we marched in baldwin to the little police station (laughs) now y'all when i tell you i looked it up the the town of baldwin has like six police officers um a a time we came back to baldwin which we'll get to they actually had to request tribal police from one of the local reservations come help them tribal police (laughs) because they don't have enough officers and y'all our protests are not big there's maybe 20 of us so if you need to call for backup for that you know they're small we hit 100 people at that baton rouge rally and I don't think that we ever even came close to those Never again. again, yeah. Never Whenever again. I tell y'all that, like, we are so outnumbered that it is astonishing what we're getting done. With and that the we haven't got our asses beat, honestly. Right. But I just want to tell anybody who's listening, we are always armed. So Oh, yeah, always. Just, and armed well. So and it, just in case anybody ever wants to get any ideas... Right. Just come prepared. Uh, so that next March, yeah, we parked at the old uh, police station in Baldwin and marched to the new one and had a rally. And we we heard from the Charles family. 
Uh, we heard from local organizations and local like activist leaders. And it was nice and enlightening and it brought more media attention to the case, but it was still just the beginning. Um, right after that is maybe about a week later, they were having Kwan Charles' funeral. And that was just a week of nonstop action. Yes, because like, we had um, we had asked some out-of-state activists to come and, you know, for us to share our knowledge, them to share their knowledge, you know, just really network together. And whenever they came in, we just wanted to fit as much as we could. Right. And the first one we went to was in Baldwin. Well, the first one was Kwan's funeral. Right. They got here. I, I just, I guess I just don't think about that as an action, but it was all of us there. Right. It, it just started the week off. It was like, yeah, it really wasn't an action. It was just... A celebration of life And a Kwan. really somber kickoff yes. to a really exhausting, yes. mentally stressful week. Um, but yeah, you're right. So after that, the first one was... Baldwin... We and did Baldwin again, when, yeah. And whenever we went, this was the time that that truck tried to run into the crowd. Right. And that's also the one where uh, one of the out-of-state people got into a fight with that person. Right, yeah. So this event, we did the same thing. We parked at the old police station in Baldwin, and we marched down to the new one, which is also the town city hall, I believe. Yeah. Um, and this is one where we were met with the police and tribal police, because I don't know what they thought was going to happen. <laughs> but there was a lot of... All 20 of us. Yeah, all 20 of us. They, you know. Um, again, we, like, gathered. We were hearing from people speak. We had people here from Georgia, New York, like, a bunch of different groups and organizations getting together. And like Katie said, like, sharing knowledge and just, like, strategizing for the movement. But this one was ten like high tension. It was it was I feel like it was doomed from the moment it started. I don't know why. I don't know how. But like we just ran into some shit for that day. Right. Like when we were at the town city hall and the police station, um, some lady and some old man, it looked like a lady and her dad maybe, yeah. like they started wanting to like holler shit and the, some of the uh, out of towners started like scuffling like scuffling with them. Right. And they try to, like, basically run over the out-of-towners. So that was already, like, okay, near miss. And then they yelled, uh, Sister Crystal Muhammad, yo, Panthers take to the street. And y'all, when I tell you them Panthers took to that fucking street, mm. I was like, oh, my God, they are for real. They know what they're doing. Right. And then they, like, they shut it down. They were like, y'all good. Keep doing what y'all doing. We got the outside. Right. They just protected that uh, perimeter and made sure we could continue with our event, which was nice. Which is so thoughtful. And then, so, from there, when we marched back, there was another altercation with a pickup truck purposely trying to drive through us. And I'm not going to say anything too incriminating, but there was weapons. And <laughs> these white boys started screaming white power. And they drove back around screaming white power at us. But they they did not exhibit any uh, white power. They, no. <laughs> they fled. Whenever they saw what they were working with, they they got right the fuck on out of And like I said, I'm not incriminating it, but they got the fuck on out of But there. they uh, skedaddled. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, so that was another march in Baldwin. And then also that week we went back to Crowley um to the jail. To the jail to uh protest. At that point TJ Yoakum as as well as a few other gentlemen that we knew and were advocating for were still locked up behind bars. And that one was really powerful too because there was a section We could where, talk to the prisoners through the walls. Right. The prisoners were showing their faces through the windows and like responding to us and like um, it was just like, damn, like, I'm going to walk away today. And right. Like, they cannot. And it was overwhelming. That was a time um, TJ Yoakum's mom saw him yes. and his sister and them yes. saw him. That was the first time we had seen him through the windows. Yes. Um, we had heard the prisoners before respond or say things like, get us out of here. You know, there's COVID in here. Help us. Yeah. Like, just soul crushing. Think, um, things that make you stay up a little later at night. Yeah, things you don't ever want to hear another human screaming from... A place that you can't help. A cell, exactly. Um, but that time was just so overwhelming. Like, 
And I mean, TJ Yoakam was just so happy to see his family. You know what I mean? Like he we're was, crying he was, and like he was, he was smiling from ear to yeah. ear. And so was his family. It's yeah, that shit. Was, there were kids there. There were small children. Yeah, and like you could tell they were excited to see TJ. And like right. that part got me. You know what I mean? It was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. But then, um, nothing happened. Nobody came outside with that one. No, they, they always hide. From us. And we made sure at that point to go during shift change. Yes. We timed it to be there during their shift change, and they delayed it they or de- did they it early, shift whichever. Change. So yeah, so the police didn't have to come outside and see us. Um, also, that week with the New Yorkers, we went and protested in Lafayette again at the state trooper's office. Yes. Um, and that's when the drones and they turn the lights off. Right. We wanted to just remind them in Lafayette that we're still not done with them and we're still, we're fighting, still fighting for Trayford. And then our uh, one of the state troopers of Lafayette came out and made a stupid statement on Quan Charles. So all the stars aligned basically and we went and protested there which was another time that grown men turned off the lights and hid behind doors and like, desks at they us they turned off the lights and like if you looked in there you could see you could still see people working at their computer yeah i don't think they i don't in think those dark. windows work how they thought they did cuz they turned off the lights and we could see them clear as day but they had drones overhead like she said watching us multiple drones like how are you going to pretend simultaneously pretend you're not here but also have drones watching us that's the one wherever i put my sign in their uh like in their fence oh yeah yeah yeah. you know i had a pig sign and it said whack-ass police right and, and you'd be left yep i and remember I, and that I put it in where they keep the cruiser so so one of them had to pick that shit up <laughs> somebody had to pick up a sign you know but uh after that one, there was a few days off, and then there was another protest with the New Yorkers in Baton Rouge that I didn't make it to, but Katie did. Yes. Um, we went, and we were there with the new Black Panther Party, and I'm pretty sure the NAACP I think uh, so. was there, or at least people who were in the NAACP. And um, we were going to ask for justice of all the people who are turning away from Kwan Charles and Trayford Pellerin. It's like, we were, like, yelling, like, what are y'all going to do about it? You know what I mean? Like, you're the governor. What are you going to do about it? Like, you're a police. What are you going to do about it? It's like, we just wanted answers. Like, we just wanted somebody to acknowledge something. And we kept screaming. And usually they have cops all up and down the governor's mansion road. But on this particular day, they only had two cop cars. And I think that they were trying to, like, be like, we don't fucking care. Uh, yeah, that's the vibe I get from them now. Like, in the beginning, I feel like they were trying to overpower us and just right. be like, look how many cops we have now. I think they're trying to purposely only send a few and just be like, we don't care. You don't matter. That's exactly what they did. on the yeah. twen- It was at the end of November. Um, but that's exactly what happened. I was like, wow. This is... Because, like, the first time we... I don't know if you remember, but the first time we showed up to the governor's mansion, the governor, uh, John Bell Edwards, he got in his black SUV and headed out the back the moment we got there. Mm-hmm. And I think... Uh, side note, he tried to head out the back, but he accidentally opened the front gates. Yes. And the police looked like they were going to shit their pants. They were like, oh, my fucking God. How, why are these gates opening up right here? And look, you know some of us were crazy, so I'm sure that some of us got a little glimmer in our eye, and they saw it. But we're peaceful, y'all. So we just stood there and watched the gate close, and then he fled out the back. Right. So every time after we showed up, he wasn't there. Right. They made sure that he wasn't there. Right. So it's like, we. I know that we were, like, going, like, to say this or that, but it was falling on deaf ears on that day. Right. But uh, the news was able to cover it, so a lot of people were able to see it home. Right. And I hope that it, like, gave a bunch of people... Like, soulless to know that, like, we're still out here. We're still doing it. You know what I mean? Like, we do care. Uh, We really want answers from our officials, and we will keep showing up to get those answers, even if you're not here every single time. We'll keep coming back. Right, exactly. Um, After that, it pretty much, like, everybody was mentally drained. It was just so much going on, and we took a pretty big break from... The end of November through December. 
Um, and we're going to take a quick break right now. But when we come back, it'll be basically the start of Cypress Secrets and yes. everything we've done since then. So for New Year's, me and Des wanted to focus more on ourselves. And we didn't want to really be with um, anybody that we didn't trust fully. So we went ahead and started Cypress Secrets, uh, a true crime podcast uh, set here in Louisiana that is, um, what's the word, focusing on police cover-ups and cases that, you know, police were involved with that were never prosecuted or, you know, everyone knows this cold case in town, but no one was ever brought to justice because they are related to so-and-so. And there's so much of that here in Louisiana that we could literally do a series on it. And that's exactly what we decided to do. Right. Like after the break and the new year and all that, I think we just wanted to refocus and surround ourselves with people uh, with the same intentions as us um, and kind of dwindle down the group settings um, just to stay focused and to try and actually like really make a difference. So now when we go out, uh, I mean, you'll see on the Facebook, we go out as Cypress Secrets and we're protesting and bringing it to you live because we did see a lot of traction on that where people were watching our live videos from these protests and staying up to date. Like I'm from, I'm from out of town, you know what I mean? And we have a lot of friends around the country. So trying to keep everybody up to date on what's going on in little old Louisiana, Right. Um, kind of became a focus of us, of ours. Um, but, you know, now you could see us live as Cypress Secrets. And then we'll be doing the podcast like this with episodes um, as well, as well as covering, you know, our protest coverage in between. But so our first outing as Cypress Secrets was again for Quan Charles. And that was January 4th. We met up with Stan Black, which is Jamal Taylor and Andre Arsenault. Um Great guys, great protesters. Definitely. Um, Good friends. Definitely. And then the Charles family, Miss Selena Charles, has been leading the way, fighting for justice for Kwan, um, as well as the rest of the family there. There's actually uh, pictures and, and things of that nature from this event on the Cyber Secrets Facebook page. Um, but we went inside basically to help the family demand Sheriff uh, Tommy Romero answered some questions, and... They wouldn't. Surprise, surprise, he was not available. Right, but his truck was in the parking lot. His truck was in the parking lot, but he wasn't there. Riddle me this. Wow, how how interesting. And then three cops came and stood out and were like, oh, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And then their public relations person came out and was like, well, I'm not giving a statement. And then they were like, yeah, well, that's your job, though, right? And they all just... They were, were basically just like, mm. they were all mad. Like, that's a thing. Like, even if somebody's not saying, like, you specifically did this, why are you rude to a victim's family coming out? Like, right. obviously, tensions are high. Are you not prepared to do your job? Like, wouldn't you try and sympathize or de-escalate a situation? But that, that again, just shows you that these people are not here to protect and serve any anybody like right except for themselves except for themselves and rich people's property yep like they don't care as long as we leave peacefully and that's that's it absolutely and then um after that action the latest thing that we had been to was Kwan Charles's sweet 16 celebration um in Baldwin we went and we marched to the New police station again, and... Um, a silent march this time. Yes, a silent march. It was us as Cypress Secrets, uh, Stan Black, uh, the Charles family, and the new Black Panther Party. And we spoke on Kwan, and we made a march back to our cars, and then we went to his final resting place, and we had a balloon release, and um, we, we said a couple... Um, nice things over him and the new black panther party handed out candles for everybody Mm -hmm. um it was just a very beautiful but somber day like it was beautiful because everyone was just so loving and kind to everybody 
and everybody was just there for Kwan and his family, but we were all only there because Kwan had died. Right, and that's one of the main things that I've really seen come from this. It's like, it's obviously no comfort to a family grieving a lost child, but his life is definitely not going to be in vain. Absolutely not. Like, he's brought so many people together and has changed so much already, like, within Louisiana, within the country. Absolutely. Like, there's, it's, like I said, it's no comfort to a family who lost a child, but it's definitely going to make a difference. They know that they aren't going to just let him die quietly. Right. And we're still fighting for justice in this case. Since then... Janet Irvin has finally been arrested. Yes. It's not all the charges I would want. No. <laughs> no. Uh, um, I want murder. Murder I want, I want conspiracy. to start. Um, I, I don't understand. So they got her for contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Mm. And what was the other charge? Not Neg- reporting. No, you're not reporting a, a child missing. Yeah. Why they didn't get her already with bare minimum kidnapping when there is video showing her taking him. Just because he wasn't kicking and screaming doesn't mean he was not kidnapped. Exactly. This woman took him without his parents' consent. It doesn't matter if he got in the car willingly. A child may do that. Like, that is fucking kidnapping. Hey, kid, you want some candy? They don't run and scream into the van. They're like, shit, I want some candy. I'll jump into that van. Hop in. Exactly. Come on now. But it's been progress, so obviously we're going to... Take it with a grain of salt, um, and we're still calling for more arrest and better charges. I want everybody in the Irvin family, everybody that helped them get out, everybody that knew what happened and didn't say anything, all the police involved, all of their receptionists that covered for them. I want every fucking body tagged saying he was involved helping cover the Kwan case. Right. Cover up, you know? Right. Like, there's just so much, like, shady shit around this case. And, again, we'll get into full details because we're obviously going to do an in-depth episode on Quan, um, as well as Trayford Pellerin. But uh, stick around, and then we'll kind of give you a little sneak peek of what's coming up on the next episode. So to give you guys a little preview into our next episode, we're going to be going in-depth into a cold case. Um, We're going to get you with all the research that we've done, um, our personal theories, uh, interviews, the whole nine. Um, Our first case is going to be KK's Corner. It happened in Lake Charles, Louisiana, uh, the town that I was born in. In the 90s, three people, including a 14-year-old girl, were killed execution style in a cooler of a convenience store in Lake Charles. And supposedly... The sheriff's son has something to do with it, and it's been covered up, and um, the wrong person was prosecuted, and um, ID Channel just recently did a episode on them, The Man with the Rabbit's Foot. If anybody wants to go watch that uh, before you watch our new episode, uh, you can be up to date on that, and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. You can put faces to names and um we're really excited to bring that to you guys because we have some really awesome information that links it to other cases that we're going to be going into but i don't want to spoil that um but it's definitely a spider web from kk's corner out so that's why we wanted to start with uh this particular case right yeah like she said we're going to be bringing you pretty in-depth interviews And this definitely won't be the first or the last time you hear about uh, the Calcasieu Parish Sheriff's son in cases. Um, So, yeah, definitely thanks, everybody, for listening and being super patient for us uh, to release this episode. We had some serious technical difficulties, you guys. Like, our microphone was a piece of shit. And, like, it's technical and it's difficult as fuck. Yeah. And Des Des is taking care of it all, so... You know, I just support her, and she looks like she knows what she's doing, and I trust it. I'm faking it pretty good. (laughs) I'm feeling pretty confident in my editing so far. We've been doing it as we go. So another shout-out to Shelby (laughs) because I didn't know how to do any of this a week or two ago. Uh, But, yeah, stay tuned. 
So the KK's Corners episode should be coming out pretty soon, and it's just going to snowball from there. So we're super excited. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, We hope you guys enjoyed this and uh, know us a little better, are ready to uh, dive into these cases with us. And uh, we would love to give you guys our theories. We can't wait to hear y'all's theories. Right. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cypress Secrets Podcast. Um, That way you could stay up to date and share your ideas with us as well. Well, I mean, I guess until next time, you guys. Yeah, definitely stay tuned. What secrets do the cypress trees hold? We're dying to find out.